in and worship the Lord. If you're saved, you're in your Father's house. The book of Judges, if you have your Bibles this morning, we'll turn please to the book of Judges. I'm going to uh, be a little different for me as far as reading this morning. I'm going to skip around a whole lot and read from several different chapters, but I feel compelled to, so we'll start in Judges 13. Judges chapter 13, we'll read some verses there, and then we'll read some verses in chapter 16 from different portions of the chapter. And I'll try my best to give to you what's on my heart for the service today. I need your prayers, and I need the Lord's help. I feel very strongly about the service and about the Word from the Lord feel very certain this is what I'm supposed to preach this morning, and I don't know who's here and needs to hear it, but I'm satisfied from the direction of the Holy Ghost that there's at least one person in the building needs to hear the Word of God this morning. Judges chapter 13, we'll begin there when you found your place, if you'll stand, out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. I just want to read two verses In Judges 13 and then skip to Judges 16 and we'll skip around a little bit in that chapter as well. Judges chapter 13, I want to read the last two verses, beginning in verse number 24. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. Judges chapter 16 and verse number 1. Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. Verse number 4. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said unto her, Entice him, and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And we will give thee, every one of us, eleven hundred pieces of silver." And Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. In verse 15, And she said unto him, How canst thou say, I love thee, when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times, Hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head, for I have been an Azerite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me. And I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, 
She sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he has showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought money in their hand. She made him sleep upon her knees. She called for a man and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. She began to afflict him and his strength went from him. She said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. When the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country which slew many of us. It came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport. And they set him between the pillars. Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may fill the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about three thousand men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord, said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and of the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Then his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the barren place of Manoah his father and he judged Israel 20 years. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I want to preach this morning about this man by the name of Samson. We know this man very well. We teach our children about Samson in their Bible stories. And I personally don't believe that Samson looked any different from any other man. I don't think we uh, see pictures painted and illustrated and Samson looks like some bodybuilder or some giant. I don't personally believe Samson looked that way. 
For they were always trying to figure out how this man had such great strength. But the key was that the Lord was with him. Now Samson's name means a light. Or it means sunlight. And Samson was born in a very dark time. And the book of Judges is a dark book. It's a day of rebellion and apostasy and idolatry among the people of God. The people of God would rebel. We find out in Judges chapter 2 that Joshua and all that elder generation that knew God and knew all His mighty works died. And there arose a new generation which knew not the Lord, neither the mighty acts that He had done in Israel. And so they began to serve idol gods. And God would judge them. God had made a covenant with them that they should not serve the gods of the people of the land of Canaan. But that God was a jealous God. And Him only should they serve. And that they should not make any leagues with Him. And that they should not give their sons to marry their daughters or take their daughters to marry their sons. And so they violated the covenant that they made with God. And when they rebelled, God would deliver them into the hands of their enemies to afflict them. And the people would repent and God would send a judge or a deliverer to bring them back out of bondage and out of prison. And they would serve God for a little while and then the cycle would continue and repeat itself over and over and over again. We find out in the book of Judges here, chapter 6, is where we're introduced to that man by the name of Gideon. And it was because the children of Israel, the people of God, we're told in Judges 6 that they did evil again in the sight of God and God delivered them up into the hands of their enemies and the children of the east, the Amalekites, came up and they impoverished the people of God. And God brought Gideon, the judge, the deliverer, to deliver them out. So it was with Samson in Judges 13 and verse number 1. We're told that the people of God had rebelled again and God delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. But in the midst of that dark time, the angel of the Lord comes to a man by the name of Manoah and tells him that they're going to have a son and that that son is going to be a Nazarite from the womb. That he's going to be separated. And there were certain vows and qualifications that the Nazarite had to go through. But the Lord said that he would be a strong man and that he would deliver his people. And so we read this morning, I wanted to read at the end of Judges 13, that Samson is born. And the Bible said that the Spirit of the Lord came on him at times and he did wondrous, mighty works. By the help of God. We read about Samson the times that the Lord came upon him. If you'll just bear with me, I'll get where I'm going this morning. If you'll pray for me, that the Lord will help me. We read about Samson slaying several men at one time when the Lord came upon him. The Bible said the Lord came on him and slew 30 at one time. Another time, the hand of the Lord was on him and he had to fight and he didn't have anything to fight with. And he took the jawbone of an ass and he slew a bunch of men 
and then he was thirsty and the Bible said God gave a hollow part in the bone and there came out water and he gave Samson a drink. One time Samson's met by a young lion and the Bible said that the hand of God came upon him and he caught hold of him and he ran him in twain. That's the power of God that Samson had. We read about times that Samson would carry the gates of the city off of the Philistines to mock them by the help and the power of God. But we read this morning and I want to be real sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Ghost and preach what he wants me to say. But we read this morning, we began in Judges 13 about where he's born and where God first came on him. But then we read in Judges 16 that some things started taking place in the life of Samson that forever changed him. The Bible said in Judges chapter 16 and verse number 1 that we read this morning, he went to Gaza and he saw a harlot. And he went in unto her. Samson began in Judges 16 to fail. But I want to preach this morning, if God will help me, that failure is not final. Oh, I'm so glad this morning that failure is not final. Now you and I can stand back and look and say, well, why would God record the fact that Samson went in to a harlot? Now you and I would think that maybe some other sins would be more forgivable in the sight of God than for Samson to go in under a harlot. Well, I'm just here to preach to you what the Word of God says. And the Bible records for our admonition and for our example and our understanding that Samson went in unto a harlot. But God still used Samson in the end. And then we read that afterward, if that wasn't bad enough, that Samson saw a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah, and he loved her. Now the word Delilah, if you look at here, look at it here in the Word of God, it means to be feeble. And that's exactly what she did to Samson. She made him feeble. Now Samson's falter, Samson's failure, Samson's fall, Samson's mess up, whatever you want to call it, it began with wrong associations. Samson got to hanging around with the wrong crowd. And I'm going to tell you this morning that much of the sin in the lives of the people of God seems to always begin with wrong associations. That the people of God start hanging around or spending too much time with a group of people that they don't have any business hanging around. Samson didn't have any business in Gaza. Samson didn't have any business in the house of a harlot. Samson didn't have any business in the valley of Sorek. And he sure didn't have any business with his head in the lap of Delilah. But he found himself having wrong associations. And those wrong associations then led to wrong actions. And that's exactly how it works for the people of God. 
There is according to the Word of God. I want you to hear me this morning. I feel like this is where God wants me to be and I'm trying to preach what's on my heart. We understand according to the book of James chapter number 1 that there is a cycle to sin. The Bible said that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now I'm going to say this and I've got Bible to back it up. The flesh is a powerful thing. And the warfare with the flesh is a daily battle. What was taught to us this morning in the Sunday school hour about presenting our bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God is a daily battle. For we must die out to the flesh. Paul said he had to die daily. That is the scripture that was read this morning or the truth or the evidence that was read to us this morning out of Galatians chapter 2. It's one of my favorite verses in the Word of God where Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. That is that I have died out to me, to my flesh, to my wants and my wishes. He said, nevertheless, I live. That is the spiritual life that Christ imparts to the believer. He said, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That is what the Holy Ghost does. He takes up a bold in us. That is a positional truth that Christ liveth in us. But there is a practical truth that must be carried out based on the positional truth that Christ lives in us. And the practical truth is the next verse. And the life that I now live in the flesh. Paul said, I have not overcome my flesh. I have not set it to the side permanently. But he said I am living in the flesh but I am living it by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so you can either live one or two ways. You can live by faith or by the flesh. But we are drawn away of our own flesh. Now I understand. I understand we have an adversary. I understand we have an enemy. But I'm going to tell you this morning, we blame the devil for way too much in this day. I'm going to tell you why we blame the devil. It's because it eases our conscience and we feel less responsibility when we can say something like, the devil made me do it. He didn't make you do it. Your flesh is what made you do it. And your flesh is a part of you. And you got to get rid of it. you got to put it in subjection. Do you understand it? We're going to go on typology. And I'm just preaching how God wants me to preach this morning. That we're going to go on typology and go back to the Old Testament and preach about the exodus out of Egypt being a type of being born again. And it is a type of salvation, a type of deliverance. And them coming through the Red Sea by the miraculous power of God as God bringing us out out of sin, out of bondage, and delivering us the very first battle 
that the children of Israel face was in Rephidim with the Amalekites, the sons of Amalek, and Amalek's a descendant of Esau, and Esau in your Bible is always a type of the flesh, and so the very first battle they encountered after being delivered was with their flesh. And for you and I, the greatest battles we will encounter in this life will ultimately be a battle with our flesh. That's right. I began to read and study and the Lord began to bring scriptures to my heart and, and help me with this. In Second Peter chapter 2, uh, that Peter is inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, to write about false prophets. And he says they are, uh, the false prophets allure folks uh, by the allurements of their flesh. He appeals to the flesh. And when the flesh sees something it wants, the flesh is going to go after it. And so we must put the flesh in submission. Now we go to Exodus chapter 17, I think it is, and read about that battle with Amalek and Rephidim. The Bible said that Joshua discomfited Amalek. It does not say that Joshua defeated Amalek. But the word discomfort means to put in submission. It means that Joshua overpowered them, but he did not really overcome them. Now you and I will never overcome the flesh till we get out of it. But we can by the help of God overpower it. And Joshua was the leader of the battle had overcome the flesh. And Joshua's name in the Old Testament is synonymous with Jesus in the New Testament. And so I'm glad this morning we're not fighting the flesh by ourselves. It's not our own battle. But I'm glad we have a great mighty captain that's leading the way before us. But we must follow him in the battle. And we have a banner that encourages us and leads us on. Moses stood on the top of the mountain with the rod of God. When they looked at the rod, it it represented past victory. It represented where God had brought them from. It represented what God had already done. We ought to be able to look back at all the things where God's brought us safe thus far and understand this battle will be no different. There's a cycle in sin. That every man's tempted. James said, let no man say when I'm tempted that I'm tempted of God. For God tempts no man with either, neither can God be tempted. But he said, every man's tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then he said, when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. So there's a wrong association, and then it brings forth a wrong action. Lust is a plan. Lust is a thought. Lust is a method. Sin is the action. Sin is acting on the lust, on the plan, on the thought. And James said when lust conceives, if you let lust breed, if you let lust brew, if you let lust remain, it will bring forth sin. One old preacher said, I understand that our battleground's in the mind. I understand that. And one preacher said, you can't help the birds that fly over. Have you ever got down to pray and had some strange thought run through your mind? It's because we live in the flesh. There are some things we don't have any control over. We can't help the birds that fly over. But he said, we can help which ones build nests. That's right. And the flesh is persistent. 
You ever seen a persistent bird? I thought about, uh, I've heard several people say, mostly women, uh, you know, in the springtime they get them hanging baskets and they put them out on the porch and a bird will come stop building a nest, they'll break a nest out and shoot off the bird and the next day it's right back and they do it again and it'll come back and do it again and it'll come back. You say, what do you say? I'm saying the flesh is persistent. We cannot overcome today and then think we've overcome and never have a battle again. If we do that, we'll be overcome while we're overcoming. That's right. Sometimes we think too highly of ourselves. Sometimes we look in the Word of God and read these examples and think, well, that would never happen to me. You're a prime suspect. Never say never. We all live in the same flesh. If it weren't for the grace of God, we'd be the ones that were out on the dope, out in the beer hall, out in the gutters, out in the ditch, and with no hope and without God. If it wasn't for the grace of God, that's where we'd all be. And so we cannot stand and judge Samson. I'm not belittling his sin. I'm not overlooking his sin. I'm telling you this morning, he did wrong. But I'm glad this morning where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Paul said, does that mean we go out and sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. It's not a license to sin. Being in grace is not a license to sin. It's not a license to live like you want to. But it's a hope and an encouragement that when we do sin, there's forgiveness for us. That's right. And see, Samson's wrong associations led to wrong actions. And I'm going to tell you how I know that the Lord was with Samson. Is because them actions, them wrong actions, then led to agony in the life of Samson. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I'm not li- according to the Word of God. I'm not living right to stay saved. I can't find that anywhere in here. Nowhere. You saying I preachers that mean I can get saved and live any old way I want to? I can't find that in here either. I don't find anywhere there's a ditch on both sides. And there's a group that believes we're living right to stay saved. And then there's a group that believes we can get saved at 10 or 11 or 12 and then go out and live like we want to for 40 years and never darken the church and come back or maybe on a deathbed and the preacher preach us into heaven. You'll not find either one of them in this Bible. But I do find where if any man's in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away and all things have become new and them all things are of God. And when you sin, you will hate yourself for it. It will cause you agony. It breaks a breach in the fellowship and the relationship. Positionally, we are there as good as in heaven now. We are already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But our practical relationship, that feeling we feel, that love we experience, that peace and that joy, David prayed, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. He didn't say restore my salvation. He said just give me back what I used to have of it. When you sin and do wrong and disobey and rebel as a child of God, it'll produce agony in your life. You'll hate yourself for it. 
And I don't know how it works with you. I just know how it works with me. Almost immediately, when I know I've done wrong, it bothers me. And I say, Lord, why'd I do that? But Lord, why didn't I do that? But Lord, what am I doing here? But why did I say that? Why did I act that way? Why did I think that way? And it produces agony in the life of the believer. That's right. And this here in this book right here, Samson had agony. The Bible said in verse number 16 that she pressed him daily with her words so that his soul was vexed unto death. I got to reading that and the Lord got to speaking in my heart there's another righteous man that we're told about in 2 Peter that tells us his soul was vexed and his name was locked and he had wrong associations and it caused him to have wrong actions and apparently according to the word of God it produced agony in the life of Lot just like it did in the life of Samson that's right the word, uh, the word vex means to torture. It means to torment. It's where we get the word harass. Uh, that is what was going on in the soul of Samson and Lot. Uh, while they were doing the things they knew that they should not be doing. Uh, they weren't doing it with joy. Or it might have produced, there is pleasure in sin. Uh, but it just comes for a season. And then the agony breaks in on us. And the pleasure in sin is only for the flesh. It pleases the flesh. It does not please the inner man. It bothers the inner man. And the agony from sin is not produced by the flesh. It's produced by the inner man. By that part that is born of God. Our flesh was not saved. The soul was saved. We're waiting for the redemption of the body. There's going to come a day we're going to be unclothed and then clothed upon and we'll get a perfect body like unto the Lord. But until then, we must deal with the flesh. And as long as we deal with the flesh, there are going to be failures and falls. That's right. And again, I'm not up here this morning trying to paint a pretty picture of what Samson did. There is no pretty picture to be painted. What Samson did was wrong. And I'm not up here preaching you can go out and live any old way you want to. If you can do that, it's an evident fact you're not a child of God. The old black preacher said, if you was, if you is what you was, you ain't. And that's exactly right. If you can live like you used to live and do what you used to do day in and day out. I'm not saying that there won't be days of mix up and won't be days of mess up and won't be days you fall flat on your face. But if you can live and abide in sin and get by and enjoy it, it's an evident fact you don't belong to Him. All the children of God are partakers of chastisement because of our flesh. That is right. And so now Samson's in agony. And he does something he would not have normally done. But she said, tell me where your strength lies. Tell me. Tell me about it. And of course we know in the Scriptures that he lied to her. And you would think now, it's easy for us on the outside looking in think, how dumb could Samson be to not see what she's doing. But when your flesh gets wrapped up, sometimes you're blind 
to what's going on around you. And before you know it, tragedy has come. And that's how Samson, according to the word of God, Samson didn't even know what had happened. He revealed to her his secret. He said, if if my head be shaven, it's never been cut. It's part of my Nazarite vow to God. And he said, if I be shaven, my strength will go. And so she made him fall asleep, called for a man. He shaved off the locks of his head. And she woke him and said, Samson, the Philistines be upon you. And the Bible said he rose up and shook himself, said, I'll go out as at other times. And he wished not. The Lord was gone. What a shape Samson got in. That he got so far entangled that he didn't even know that the Lord had gone. Now you and I understand that positional truth, he's going to abide with us. He said he'd never leave us and never forsake us. But there is a difference in the abiding presence of God and the manifested presence of God. And for Samson, now in the Old Testament, the Lord did not abide in anybody. So it must be preached practically and scripturally and rightly divided that it it typifies or paints a picture of the manifested presence of God. That God would come on Samson. He would manifest himself. And Samson would do mighty works while God manifested. But now the manifested presence of God was gone. And Samson didn't even know it. Samson didn't even realize it. That the Lord was gone. He said, I've done it before. And I can do it again. But Samson couldn't do it. Because the Lord was gone. He said, what happened to Samson? Well, two things really. I think we can draw practical application. And I'm trying to get to the end. And ask the Lord to help us today. Two things we can draw. Samson lost his strength and he lost his sight. And if we're not careful with our failures, it'll rob us of our strength and it'll rob us of our sight. The Bible said they bound him, they took him to the prison house, and they put out his eyes. And they made a mockery of this man that they used to fear. This man that his name sparked dread and fear in their heart. Now they're laughing at him. And he's a making sport. And there's a little old boy. And it ain't in here, but I think it might be in here. There's a little old boy leading him around. This man that slew a lion with his bare hands. This man that killed men with the jawbone of an ass. This man that when the Philistines shut the gates of the city and said we'll encompass him and he won't get out, he just picked them up, posts and all, and carried them to the top of the hill. Now he's got a little old boy leading him around because he can't see. And I think that little old boy might have looked at him and said, didn't you used to be Samson? And Samson probably said, yeah, I used to be. But I'm glad God didn't look at Samson like Samson looked at Samson. Or like the little boy. Or like the Philistines. But the Bible said, how be it? The hair of his head began to grow again. 
It's one of the most blessed verses in the life of Samson is his hair. The strength was not in his hair. It was in his separation unto God. And your strength this morning is not in your do's and your don'ts. It's in your separation unto God. And he stood there and he said, Lord, remember me. And if you look up that word remember in the word of God, it's a plea of distress. It's not just take me into your thoughts or think about me. But it's Lord, come to my rescue. Lord, help me now. Lord, remember me. Lord, do you remember me? Lord, it's what used to be Samson. Lord, I look a lot different than I used to. Lord, I've went some places and done some things that I shouldn't have done. Will you just remember me? There are other people in the Word of God that prayed this same prayer. And they were all in distress. Oh, Hannah was in bitterness of soul because she wanted a son. And what she prayed is, Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. When David was afflicted because of his sin, he prayed, Lord, remember me. When Jeremiah felt like giving up, he said, Lord, remember me. And that thief on the cross with his last breath said, Lord, remember me. I know what I am. I know I did what I did and deserved to be. That's what the thief said. He talked to that other one, that one on the other side. He said, if you be the Son of God, save yourself and save us. But that thief on the right said, don't you fear God. You're in the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds. But this man had done nothing amiss. In other words, he is telling that other thief, you and I deserve to be here. We're getting what we deserve, but he ain't done nothing to deserve it. And what he's doing is owning up. See, we see Samson's wrong. And we, we can manifest and highlight and magnify his wrong. And that's about what 99, and I've been guilty, that's about what 99% of preachers do is we magnify Samson's wrong. But when he prays, remember me, we see Samson's repentance. He's saying, Lord, I know I'm, I am where I deserve to be. He said, and I don't deserve to get out of here. He said, I don't deserve your fellowship. He said, I don't deserve your love. He said, will you just remember me and strengthen me just one more time? That old thief on the cross, he just said, remember me. He said, what was going on in his heart? Well, it must have been repentance. Because the Lord said today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. And so here's a man who used to be Samson. Here's a man 
who we used to read mighty things of and we tell our children all these stories about. But we don't tell our children this part of the story. And he's praying, Lord, remember me. And he told that little boy, he said, put my hands on the pillars. And the Bible said the little boy did. He said, Samson took hold of the pillars. And he prays, Lord, remember me. And he said he bowed himself with all his might. You say, what happened? The Lord remembered him. And so we see not just his wrong and his repentance, but I think we see he was restored at the end of his life. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell. And the Bible said he slew more in his death than he did in his life. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll say things like this, well, Samson was better off to God dead than he was alive. No, it was the grace of God that Samson was restored and did more after his failure than he did before his failure. And I'm not up here saying for you to go out and live in sin and make a wreck of your life so God can use you. That is not what this Bible teaches. But I'm preaching to you this morning that if you have failed, if you've went through trouble, if you've made a mess of things, if you look back on your life and say, how did I get here and want to start over again? There's a God that will restore you again. You don't have to sit in your seat and say, I can't serve God because... That's a trick of your flesh and a trick of the devil. I can't serve God because. I can't do that because. I understand there are certain qualifications and positions and callings in the Word of God that have qualifications that folks can be disqualified from. I understand all that. I'm not preaching on that. But you don't have to have some perfect... None of us have a perfect record. If it required a perfect record to serve and worship God, none of us would be here. He can take what failure you think is final. You look back on your past and see, see that's the thing Brother Tim mentioned this morning. God, He buries our past. If anybody's going to bring it up, it's going to be us. Ain't going to be God. He said He put them behind His back into the sea, the depths of the sea, far as east is from the west. So far hath He removed our transgressions from us. I'm not necessarily going to fall out with you when people say God forgot my past. God does not forget anything. Forgetting is a flaw. God has no flaws. I forget because I'm a flawed human being. God has no flaws, no faults. He doesn't forget. But God has enough power to choose not to remember. If you read, my, if you read the Bible right, that's what my Bible tells me. There are sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Is what God says. He has the power to just turn it off. When somebody says, what about so and so and what they did, God just says, I don't remember that. And I made mention of it just a few weeks ago. We get all the way down to Hebrews chapter 11. Down about verse number 32. And after God has mentioned Noah and Enoch, and Abel, and Moses, and Abraham, and Sarah, and Gideon. He says, oh, 
and Samson. And Samson saying, Lord, I don't deserve to be there. Lord, that's not the Samson I see. And the Lord says, I know you don't deserve to be there. But he said, this is the Samson that I see, not the one you see. And I feel like this morning, I really, really feel, and I feel like I have stammered and stumbled all over the message this morning, but I feel like there's an individual, probably more than one in this building this morning, that you're looking back on your past and you're treating your past mistakes that you have got forgiven for, that it's over, that it's done, you can't go back and undo it. I'm not uh, belittling it. I'm not accepting it. I'm not saying we should talk. I'm not preaching all that. But you can't live in the past. And you can't let your past, if God says it's forgiven, if God says it's over, if God says it's gone, you can't let your failures be final. You can't sit there and say, well, I would serve God, but you don't know what I've done. I would worship, but I would praise Him, but I would come to church, but I would be more faithful, but I would be involved in the church, but you can't do that. God that says failures are not final. I know a lot of preachers that would preach to you your failures are final. I know a lot of church members that would treat you like your failures are final. But I'm glad God don't treat us that way. And I'm going to tell you something. And I am not preaching the license to sin. God knows my heart. But if failures were final, God does not categorize sin like you and I do. See, we look at what Samson did and we think, well, and what David did and others, and we think, well, that's not as bad as... But they're all failures. And so if we're going to say that failures are final, then we might as well mark out Moses and Abraham and Noah and David and Jeremiah and Elijah and Elisha and John the Baptist and Peter and Thomas and all of them. If failure was final, why did the Lord when He got up after Peter denied Him Even the third time he cursed and swore and said, I don't know him at all. And the Bible said immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the words. Peter had been preached to. Peter had been told. And some preachers and people may fall out with me, but God foresaw this failure before it ever came. He even told Peter about it. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan had desired to have you and that he may sift you as wheat. But he said, I have prayed for thee. And when thou art converted, not if you are, when you are. When you get over this, when you come through this, when you allow me to put it behind you, he said, strengthen your brethren. And that cock crew... And Peter remembered the words of the Lord. And he went out and he wept bitterly. He said, what was he doing? He was repenting. He was saying, Lord, I'm sorry. And now it's been three days. 
Can you imagine? That's bad for everybody. And I'm not highlighting just Peter's mistakes. They all made mistakes. They all forsook him and fled. But can you imagine being Peter and the last thing you heard your Lord say was you'll deny me three times and then to watch it take place. And that's been three days. And some women are going very early in the morning to anoint the body of the Lord. And they're having a conversation. about who's going to roll the stone away. And they looked and it's already gone. And they went running and these men and white apparel said, why well, seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. They said, go tell His disciples. And so they go and Mary remains at the tomb. Jesus appears. She supposed Him to be the gardener. She says, where have you laid Him? He speaks her name. She goes running. He said, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to my Father and your Father. But here's what the Lord says. He said, go tell my disciples and Peter. You say, why do you think the Lord said that? Well, I can give you my opinion. I don't think Peter felt like he was a disciple anymore after what he did. But he said, you make sure and tell Peter too. I'll see them in Galilee. And after he has denied him, after he has cursed, after he has swore, after he's repented, now he's sitting in the room with him. And he receives the Holy Ghost. And to have this conversation, he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, I love you. He said, well, feed my sheep. He said, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, I love you. He said, well, feed my sheep. He said, Peter, do you love me? And people, I've heard preachers preach all kinds of things, and I'm not judging them, and maybe that's right. I'm going to preach what's on my heart. I've heard preachers say that Peter's getting aggravated by this point. I don't think Peter's getting aggravated. I think it was restoring Peter. I think the Lord let him confess that he loved him one time for every time he denied him. So he could get over the past and go on. God knew what he had ahead for Peter to do. And he said, Peter, the third time, do you love me? And by this time, I think big old tears are rolling down Peter's face. He said, Lord, you know all things. And thou knowest that I love you. He said, Lord, I do love you. But not just that. He said, you know I love you. He said, well, then feed my lambs. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost came. And out of all the bunch, the least suspected would have been the denier. But he rose to his feet and he said, Ye men of Galilee, these men are not drunken as ye suppose, since but the third hour of the day. But he said, This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he began to preach to them that they had by wicked hands crucified the Lord of glory, but Christ had been raised from the dead and testified to be the Son of God. And through the preaching of Peter under the power of the Holy Ghost, this failure, this denier, this cursor, the Holy Ghost had power and thousands were saved. 
And Peter never glorified in himself. Peter knew what he was. But Peter magnified the Lord. I'm here this morning to preach to you this. If you've had failures, don't glorify in your failures. Don't magnify your failures. No need to go back and talk about your failures. Let's just talk about the Lord that brought you through the failures and made that failure not be final and that's still using you today. And history tells us now, the Lord told Peter, when you're converted, when you come through this, strengthen your brethren. And ain't it amazing that He chose Peter to write First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8 for us to be sober and vigilant for our adversary the devil as a, a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You say, what was He doing? He's strengthening the brethren. And history tells us that when it came time for Peter to die, he would not be crucified like his Lord. He said, hang me upside down. I don't know if that's true. That's just what history tells us. But I'm inclined to believe it's so. Because Peter looked back on them days when he was weeping bitterly for what he had done. And then them days when the Lord said, do you love me? And how the Lord made it all better again. And how far the Lord had brought him since his failure to now. I'm going to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done, the Lord can forgive and the Lord can restore. And He can let your failure not be final. You can choose to let it be final if you want to. You can sit back and say, because of what I've done, because of what I've been, the Lord can never use me again. And you can make it final, but the Lord said, come to me, let me fix it, and use you again. Your failure this morning is not final. God's not up in heaven waiting for you to mess up so He can knock you down. But he's up there ready to pick you up. The writer of the song wrote, He picks me up, wipes off my sin, puts me on my feet again. He loves me as small as I am. And in reality, if we could see what we are, the writer wrote, A speck of dirt is all I am. Nothing worthy of the Lamb, but in mercy and in grace, my precious Savior took my place. And His love for you is unconditional. We don't understand unconditional love. All of our love, we can say it's unconditional, but all human love is conditional. But God loves us with unconditional love. And He sees your failures and He knows about them. And He's not going to just brush them off. You're going to have to deal with them. You're going to have, if you've not got forgiveness, you're going to have to get forgiveness. There's going to have to be some agony, some repent. And then there can be restoration. But if He's took care of it, why are you hanging on to it? If He has wiped it off, if He's forgiven, if He says it's over, if He says it's done, why are you holding on? Why won't you let it be your past? Your failure this morning is not final. It don't matter where you've been, what you've come through. Don't let your failure be final when God says it doesn't have to be. Let's stand all over the house, please. I'm done.